Hey guys, breaking news. So obviously this isn't normally how the podcast would begin, but I had just finished recording the podcast a little earlier than usual just due to some personal scheduling things. And then literally the moment I hit end record, I, uh, I took a deep breath, checked my phone, and this amazing news story just dropped. So of course I had to go back and record this so I could slip it in for this week's podcast. So I'm just inserting this first story here at the front of the show. We're going to talk about this amazing, massive news about Call of Duty finally, finally deciding to skip a year of Call of Duty releases, or Activision rather, agreeing to skip a year of Call of Duty releases for once. Um, we're going to get into that right now, talk about that. I'm going to attach it to the top of the show, and then the podcast will play out as normal with the proper introduction and comments and all the other segments. So let's just get into this really big news story right now, and then we will uh, continue on with our regular show. So I this is all really impromptu. I literally just read this story and just went to VGC, pulled up the news story. So let's read it together for the first time and get some really, really fresh takes on, on this breaking news. So VGC reports, and this is relayed by Bloomberg, which of course Bloomberg is paywalled, so I, I don't have that. That's why we use VGC. Thank God for them. They're the best. VGC reports Activision is reportedly decided to delay next year's Call of Duty game, thus making this the first time in nearly 20 years the publisher has skipped an annual release. That's according to a Bloomberg article, which claims that the company has decided to push back the release of a new Treyarch-led game after last year's Vanguard failed to meet expectations, quote, leading some executives to believe that they've introduced new versions too rapidly. And quote, Activision's reportedly working on projects to fill the gap next year, including a, quote, steady stream of additional content for this year's premium COD game and a new free-to-play online title. Uh, oof, that's probably Warzone 2. It was recently officially confirmed that this year's Call of Duty will release to be a sequel to 2019's Modern Warfare re reboot developed by Infinity Ward. We know this is all but confirmed. Modern Warfare 2, we get it. Activision is also working on a new iteration of the Battle Royale game Warzone, which is likely the other free-to-play online title that is in development. Now, Call of Duty's year off will coincide with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard, should the deal be completed as planned by summer of 2023. However, Bloomberg claims that this acquisition had no influence on the decision to delay next year's title. It's noted that Call of Duty is often the best-selling console game in most years, and so this sudden absence could be significant for the game's market. Following the launch of its free-to-play Warzone game in 2020, Call of Duty production has gone into overdrive. Activision confirmed last year that all of its core studios are now working on the Call of Duty franchise. Since the 2019 Modern Warfare uh, installment, subsequent releases have been handled by Treyarch, Raven, and Sledgehammer Games, meaning Modern Warfare developed Infinity Ward have had three years to prepare for this year's sequel. However, the past two Call of Duty installments, which were developed partially during the pandemic, were less than well-received by fans. Bullshit, Black Ops Cold War was awesome. Continuing on, those were my words, not theirs. 2021's Vanguard sales were also significantly down uh, on its predecessor, even though it still tops sales rankings in the U.S., potentially further incentivizing Activision to keep the series in a year, uh, give the series a year off to improve quality. So this is obviously absolutely fucking massive news. We, how many times have we said it on this podcast? How many times have you probably said it when talking to your friends? How many times have you heard other podcasts say it? How many times has everyone said this? Call of Duty needs to do the world a favor and fuck off. No one wants, even if it's your favorite franchise in the world, no one wants annualized Call of Duty. It's not 
It's not good. It's not a good time. It's way too much strain on the developers. It's way too much to ask of the consumers. It's, it fatigues it. It, it. it completely negates any possibility of really true innovation and, uh, and change for the franchise. We need some time away to miss the thing that we don't have in front of our face all the fucking time. This is awesome. And there's a million ways we can dissect this. Let's really quickly talk about the acquisition with with Microsoft in this regard because, obviously, as the story uh, says here, this has a lot more to do with plans with Modern Warfare 2 coming out later this year and with the new Warzone coming out, presumably sometime early next year. And then with the the less than stellar sale well stellar sales of call of duty vanguard obviously it sold a crack so they are stellar sales but less than desired sales of call of duty vanguard considering that it is underperforming by activision uh activision standards so with all of that into account i'm so i'm so pumped about this guys Call of Duty is getting its first official delay in the history of the franchise. Well, at least since 2005, because until Modern Warfare 1, the series did used to come out in in a biannual kind of way. So let me paint the picture for those, uh, just just to kind of make this a little easier. So Call of Duty Vanguard just came out. It was 2021's game, right? That is Sledgehammer. That is um, the the third developer of the call of main developer of the Call of Duty franchise, uh, and. The uh, in, in next year or, or this year rather it's 2022 now. The next up game would be whatever comes from Infinity Ward. Infinity Ward or of course the Modern Warfare guys. We know it's Modern Warfare 2. It's worst kept secret ever. And this works on so many levels because Modern Warfare 2019 was by and large considered by people to be the best Call of Duty in a very long time. It was a true return. And this is, you know, the general consensus. This isn't necessarily how I feel, but it was largely considered to be a true return to form for the series in terms of, you know, bringing back the things people loved about Call of Duty and focusing on what used to make Call of Duty great back in its heyday, while also really changing up the game and bringing it into a next gen, kind of ushered into a new era of the, of the franchise, really shaking up the engine, really shaking up some of the multiplayer, some of the, the menus, the ways the game works and the way it feels and handles and looks and everything it's a very it was a it was like a homecoming slash an evolution of call of duty all in one game and and listen i get it modern warfare 2019 was a really good game i truly enjoyed the campaign i think the multiplayer looks great i wish it played a little better i i personally just wasn't my thing as much but obviously i'm in the minority there because people really love that game and then of course the big kicker is the introduction the introduction of warzone which is primarily developed by raven but everyone put throws their hand in it warzone really put it over the edge that combination of modern warfare 2019 with warzone just made that game an absolute force to be reckoned with so fucking popular to the point where the following year 2020 the the next call of duty was black ops cold war and the thing about black ops cold war is i mean i personally loved it to me it's the best call of duty we've had since black ops 2 back in 2012 but a lot of people were really salty with Black Ops Cold War because the game felt rushed, and it, it was. There's a lot of development hell we've covered on this show about kind of what happened behind the scenes, and a lot of people feel like it's a step back from Modern Warfare 2019. It's underpolished. It had a, a lot less not a lot less novelty, a lot less of what people were enjoying about the newer Call of Duty with its more like realistic kind of approach and all of this this stuff. Um, but more importantly. 
what happened was we saw Modern Warfare's numbers, like when you look at Twitch streaming and concurrent players, it stayed really, really strong because people liked Modern Warfare 2019. They didn't want to move on to a new game. But, you know, Black Ops sells really strong. The game still did really, really well, all as well. And now we have Vanguard coming out, and, and that's that's a different case because Vanguard isn't like Black Ops. It's not a name that sells itself like crazy. And what, what we saw with Vanguard was people were like, hey, we don't want World War II. Like, hey, this doesn't look as good as Modern Warfare 2019. Like, why do you keep shoving more Call of Duty down our throats? We don't even like this. And as a result, we saw Vanguard suffer in, in sales from that. And I think what they're finally doing is seeing what's happening and going, okay, it would help. It would do us better if we just double, triple down on Warzone. We know they're working on a Warzone successor, like a proper Warzone 2 that will leave behind OG Warzone and move on to a new version of Warzone. Uh, we know Modern Warfare 2 comes out later this year. They're like, this is our most powerful IP right now. This is this is our fran- sub-franchise of Call of Duty. This is the one the most people like. The Call of Duty players love it. The critics like it. The lapsed Call of Duty fans love it. The streamers love it. The content creators love it. This is the Call of Duty sub-franchise right now that everyone seems to be pretty high on is um, Modern Warfare. So really smart decision here. They are just giving these guys an extra year to shine. So this does a lot of things because we know the cycle. Infinity Ward, Treyarch, Sledgehammer. Infinity Ward, Treyarch, Sledgehammer. So this at the end of this year, we're going to get Modern Warfare 2. And then next year, the plan was to get the next Treyarch game, which is presumably something Black Ops related. Well, this is twofold. This, this works great in, in multiple ways, actually. Uh, but now Infinity Ward has the potential and the ability to let Modern Warfare 2, assuming that it's uh, as popular as Modern Warfare 2019, which I'm sure it will be, let it breathe, let it exist, you know, go slower, do longer seasons, do more content drops, add new maps, add new modes, do more events, really draw it out, this is obviously going to be a game that is probably going to sell crack numbers, much like Modern Warfare 2019 did, this is obviously a game that's probably going to be much higher, unless this game comes out completely broken and they fuck everything up, this is probably going to be a game that rivals the sales and player numbers and concurrence and and, and favorability of a Modern Warfare 2019. It's going to dwarf Vanguard. It's going to make Call of Duty look really good again. That's something you want to hold and ride that wave. Let it linger. Let people enjoy this game for more than 10 fucking months before you put out your next Call of Duty. And it's going to it's gonna allow this game to make a lot of money, stay in the limelight for a lot longer, make Call of Duty look really good, draw a lot of people to Warzone, a lot of people to Modern Warfare 2, and, and add, just add so much goodwill to the Call of Duty name. And this works on a whole other level because now it's finally going to give Treyarch a chance to have a longer development cycle and make a proper game. Treyarch got fucked, as you might recall, because the idea with the Call of Duty rotation is that every developer gets three years to make their game. And you might recall that Acti- that Treyarch, the Black Ops developer, their last proper on-schedule release was actually in 2018 when they released Black Ops 4. And then it was Modern Warfare 2019, and then it was supposed to be Sledgehammer in 2020. But as the story goes, as the reporting has, has showed us, apparently in 2020 we were going to get a Sledgehammer-developed Call of Duty game that was in conjunction with Raven. Raven was going to make the campaign. Uh, Sledgehammer was going to make the multiplayer and everything. And, and they were working on this kind of Cold War era Call of Duty game. And it, it was in development hell. And so at some point in the last like 10 months before the game came out, Activision stepped in and said, Sledgehammer, you're out. 
you're you go do something else, and then uh, Treyarch, you come in and fix this mess. You got ten months, make it happen. And basically, in ten months, Treyarch worked with Raven to salvage that campaign, turn it into a Black Ops story, and then build out a, a robust multiplayer suite, and and basically build us Black Ops Cold War, which is crazy. It's so crazy when you think about it because Black Ops Cold War launched with a pretty decent amount of content, launched with really awesome zombies, really good, in my opinion, really good fun arcadey classic COD multiplayer, and a really kick-ass campaign. Probably the best campaign Call of Duty's had, again, since probably Black Ops 2. And so, you know, amazing that they that they were able to pull off that work. But what, what it ended up doing was it shot Treyarch in the foot because now they just lost a year of their three-year development cycle because they just had to go in 2018 and in 2020, and they're now expected to go in 2023. It, it's So the, pre, the pre-planning of their prior game is fucked, and it just fucked up their whole rotation and development pipeline. So by delaying this, this does a lot of things. It allows Modern Warfare 2 and the new Warzone to stay in the limelight for a long time and shine and make money and draw goodwill to the brand because you know that's what Modern Warfare does. And it allows Treyarch the opportunity to catch up on the lost development time and really fully flesh out and build a great Call of Duty for whatever their next Black Ops entry is. And right now the rumor is that Treyarch is going to do with Black Ops what Infinity War did with Modern Warfare 2019 and kind of like soft reboot it where it's like probably just going to be called Call of Duty Black Ops and it's kind of going to be like a reinvention, a retelling, a reimagining of like what 2010 OG Black Ops was. And man, if that's what they're working on and they have all this extra dev time to make that come to fruition, this is awesome. Now, so that's why it's really exciting for fans of, of Modern Warfare. That's why it's really exciting for Black Ops and Treyarch. That's why it's really exciting for us as consumers of Call of Duty, people who enjoy it and actually want to see the game have some fucking breathing space. So maybe, you know, like for example, I was so salty when Black Ops Cold War just came to an abrupt halt because I was enjoying that game. And then they were just like, Eh, fuck you, here's the final zombies map and Vanguard's out now, and there's just no room to play anything or breathe. This gives people that opportunity, so that's great, but let's look at it, you know, out outside of us as players, this is great for the developers. This gives the developers more time to breathe and figure out how to fucking do this and not crunch as much because now they got you know, a little more time under their belt to be like, okay, the pressure's not quite as on, we have a year off, you know, or a year off between releases, not a year off to not work on a Call of Duty game. These guys are going to be working their asses off on this next game, of course. But this is great news all around. And and honestly, the the reporting that this is unrelated to the a- Xbox, uh, Microsoft Activ- Activision acquisition is really surprising. I mean, how, how could it be? You know, because obviously Microsoft doesn't own Activision yet. They're not making any, any rulings or executive orders here. But the fact that, you know, this is something we were hoping for when we got word that Microsoft was going to buy Activision. We were hoping that one of Microsoft's first orders of business would be, hey, we're going to space out these Call of Duty release, game, release schedules. We're not going to force a new one every year. Activision self-regulating it here and doing it themselves. So this is actually phenomenal news. I'm super, super hyped about this, super pumped about it, as you can probably tell by just my excitement and my high-pitched voice, or my, 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 my demeanor, my high-pitched voice, whatever. I, I, I'm really, really pumped about this. So I also I'm excited for this because when Modern Warfare 2 comes out later this year, I'm ready to, like, jump into that shit and play it knowing, like, hey, I can take my time with this game. I got two years before this gets replaced by the next Call of Duty. So I I can feel comfortable spending $60 on this game and investing in it because I don't have to worry about 
you know, oh man, I finally unlocked this skin or this gun or this thing I wanted to do, and boom, new Call of Duty, time to move on. So again, this is just way more respectful of the player's time, way more respectful of the developers and, and, and their time and their fucking livelihood. This is just all around great, great news. Now, where is it bad news for? Well, you think about Call of Duty being the best-selling game every fucking year. That's huge news for, like, PlayStation and Xbox and Steam. It's like, yeah, your best-selling game every year uh, is just not coming to market in 2023. It's just not happening. That's a lot of money on the table if you're, like, a Sony or Microsoft. Personally, I don't give a shit. I, I don't, Microsoft and, and Sony don't need that money. That's, they, they'll be fine, boo-hoo. But, like, obviously, it's worth noting you know that that that's the the biggest game that's that's going to have somewhat of an impact on their financials but of course you assume it's not like they're just not going to make money on Call of Duty in 2023 they're going to re- fucking monetize the shit out of out of uh, Modern Warfare 2 and then of course a new version of Warzone will come out probably in early 2023 and that thing will be such a fucking cash cow they'll make plenty of money so yeah, I mean, that, those are my initial hot takes uh, following this announcement. I'm super, super excited about it. I definitely, this is one I'm definitely really interested to hear a lot of your takes. I feel like this is the kind of move that might even pull a lot of lapsed COD fans out of the woodworks and back into the franchise, especially for, um, uh, not Black Ops, but uh, Modern Warfare 2. Because again, people are going to have that comfort and peace of mind of knowing like, hey, I can buy this game and play it and invest my time into it. And I'm not just going to be fucking cast aside in a heartbeat for the next game and, and have Activision just knocking on my door for another 60 fucking dollars when I've barely even gotten the chance to enjoy anything of of that last game I just bought. So yeah, super, super exciting news. Uh, Let me know what you guys think. And now let's uh, end this and then basically just jump into the regular podcast with the proper introduction, comments, news, and and whatnot. Uh, Thank you for allowing me to break up the flow this week. See you in a bit. Xbox on. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 24th, 2022. Happy birthdays, Art. EA takes some heat for their Halo Infinite comment. Ubisoft publicly claims that they want to remain independent. New details on Contraband have emerged, and more. Welcome to episode 142 of the Xbox On Podcast. Now, this is a little bit of a weird episode for me, maybe not so much for you, because you're probably listening to this on the regular day you normally listen to Xbox On, and you're probably noticing if you're usually a day of release listener, what's the big deal? It's going live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, Thursday morning, like it does every week. Well, ha ha ha, I'm actually recording the show a day earlier this week. I just got a little bit of a crazy week with my my day job and then some stuff going on this weekend. Whatever, it's got my personal schedule shuffled around. I'm only letting you know all this just to say, usually I I like to record and edit the podcast as close to release as humanly possible because I want to weed out any possibility of me recording the show, big news breaking, and then the show going live. Um, So 
This week, unfortunately, just due to personal scheduling conflicts, I just can't make that really happen. So I'm just letting you know, you know, if if Thursday happens, you know, in Xbox on comes out and you're like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to listen to Jesse talk all about the Microsoft Wrigley acquisition. I cannot I cannot wait to see what Jesse has to say about, you know, Hubba Bubba Max being the official chewing gum of the Xbox brand. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss that because there's a good chance that news is going to come out on Wednesday and I'm recording on Tuesday night. So sorry in advance. That's that's why I'm putting this at the front of the show. But guys, there's still plenty of news to get to and we still got a pretty full show. So don't you worry your sweet little asses about us having some compelling information to divulge. Now, with that bullshit out of the way, I do want to say, guys, very big uh, do alert. Do alert. I know a lot of you elite Xbox fans are also Mountain Dew uh, consumers. There's a massive crossover. If you look at the Venn diagram between Xbox gamers and Mountain Dew drinkers, it's basically not even a Venn diagram. It's just a perfect circle. But uh, I got to let you guys know that Hard Mountain Dew, we talked about it, I mean, it was like a year ago they announced this shit, is finally starting to hit shelves in new states. That's right, for those who are uninitiated or maybe forgotten, the Hard Mountain Dew is, of course... Mountain Dew's, uh, well, it's a common, it, well, it's a partnership between Pepsi and I forget some beer brewing company, whatever. But it is alcoholic Mountain Dew. They're jumping on the uh, seltzer, hard seltzer trend that's happening right now with the Trulies and the what's the other big one, White Claw. And anyway, it, it's actually kind of an ingenious idea because Mountain Dew it, it would work so well, you know, for this kind of drink. So we're gonna get some twenty one and up, or if you're in other parts of the world, eighteen and up. Hard alcoholic Mountain Dew flavors. It's going to be black cherry, which I assume is just code red, watermelon, which I assume is just um, major melon, Baja Blast, and original. And they're going to be in hard alcoholic versions. Now, here's the kicker, guys. They're launching right now in Florida, Tennessee, and Iowa. So good news for me. I live in Florida. I'll be able to get this shit. Bad news for the overwhelming majority of you because there's the slim chance here that the majority of Xbox on listeners just so happen to live in either Florida, Tennessee, or Iowa. So be patient. They have said due to certain restrictions and, and rollout laws, they just aren't able to launch everywhere all at once. But they are adding more and more states as time goes by. So guys, please... And I don't know if they're launching this anywhere internationally. So if you're in the UK or if you're in Canada, uh, if you're in Australia and you're thinking, wow, I'd really love to get my hands on some hard Mountain Dew. uh, Well, sorry. Anyway, just, you know, very important news, obviously highly pertinent to Xbox and and gaming as a whole. So had to get that out of the way, guys. Please be very excited for that. Now, I want to jump into some corrections, updates, uh, story developments as we tend to do at the top of the show, these are the stories of mild amusement of, you know, I don't have any corrections actually really to get into here, but I do have a couple of mildly amusing stories or updates. So let's let's start with the, let's, let's get the sad one out of the way, guys. Okay, Windows Central reports, Microsoft have announced that it will stop supporting Xbox Live services via its Windows phones service on May 16th, 2022. From that date, in-game achievements and cloud saves earned on Windows phones will no longer be recorded to a player's Xbox Live profile. Some games will likely be playable still, even if online capabilities will no longer work. So, got to pour one out for my my homie, the Windows phone. It was just too good for this world. Clearly, this is this was a perfect example of something that was too good for humanity. Humanity was too busy uh, jerking their dicks over 
uh, Samsung versus iPhone when really we should have all just been paying attention to the Nokia Lumia 1520. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, what has happened is 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 reality. And we are now dealing with the ramifications of our actions. And we are on the course set by our decision making. So Windows Phone, we miss you. Xbox Live, no longer going to sync or be uh, a thing that works with your Windows Phone. Honestly, don't as much as I love Windows Phone, don't be using a Windows Phone 2022. They stopped. They stopped. Microsoft stopped putting out security updates for that device like two years ago. You're you're really putting yourself at risk if you're using that phone at this point in time. As as much as I would love for it to be a viable platform, come on, man, don't do that. All right, next up, here's one that's uh, possibly not Xbox related, but if we're lucky, it is. But I think. That's wishful thinking. And it, this was the announcement of Street Fighter VI. Now, they kind of had like a little mystery reveal. The website was like counting down some kind of announcement. And they just showed like a splash logo for a Street Fighter VI. And it just has a really, really ugly, boring-ass, basic modern logo. It looks like, you know, fucking your local beer brewer made a video game logo. It's kind of disgusting. But Far, uh, Far Cry, Street Fighter VI announced in an official capacity is on the way. Here's the, here's the kicker, though. As we all know, Street Fighter, Capcom in particular with this brand, pretty in bed with Sony right now. Street Fighter V never came to Xbox. It was a PlayStation game. And uh, there's there's a decent chance that Street Fighter VI probably continues that trend and we don't see this come to Xbox platforms. So it's cool that I got announced. I know there are probably a lot of people who are big fighting game fans, especially Street Fighter being one of the most seminal franchises of the genre. But... Just know there's a high probability, just based on history, that this game will not be coming to Xbox. But it might. So, hey, if it ends up coming to Xbox, good thing we talked about on the show. All right, now, another one here is Phil Spencer, Activision update. Now, I said last week, I'm not going to talk about the Activision deal anymore. I'm so fucking tired of acquisitions and all this bullshit. We're not talking about it anymore, unless the news forces us to. So... With uh, with God being the sick bastard that he is, he's he goes, oh, I'm I'm gonna put some more of that Phil Spencer, Bobby Kotick, Activision bullshit in the news, and here we are. So I'm not even gonna really analyze this. I just want to read it. So I I put it out there and said we covered it on the podcast. But this is not not necessarily fun news to be learning. But let me let me just read it as as relayed by VGC, and we'll move on with our lives. Okay. Microsoft started acquisition talks with Activision Blizzard just days after the publication of report alleging that CEO Bobby Kotick had known for years about allegations of sexual misconduct at the company. That's according to regulatory filings published on Friday, which detailed the negotiations that eventually led to Microsoft's $68.7 billion agreement to acquire the Call of Duty publisher. As noted by CNBC, the timing of the conversation appears to be opportunistic since the Wall Street Journal's reporting caused huge reputational damage to Activision, Activision Blizzard's CEO and sent stocks tumbling down 11%. The document claimed that the first conversation between Kodak and Xbox head Phil Spencer began on November 19, 2021. That's just three days after the Wall Street Journal reported alleged that Kotick had been accused by several women of mistreatment inside and outside the workplace, including leaving a voicemail in 2006 in which he threatened to have an ass- assistant killed, according to its sources. Wall Street Journal sources also alleged that Kotick was w- had withheld information from the company's board relating to sexual misconduct allegations. In a statement provided to the publication, Activision Blizzard's board had said that it had been informed at all times with respect to the status of the regulatory matters, and that it believed Bobby Kotick had appropriately addressed workplace issues and brought, that were brought to his attention. Microsoft's acquisition talks also appear to have started a day after Spencer claimed to have addressed the Activision issue internally, telling staff that in an email that it was 
evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments. I just want to, sorry, I got to interject a little bit. A day after Phil Spencer sent that memo that was like, we're reevaluating our relationship with Activision. We're aware we don't, you know, abide by this kind of misconduct, blah, 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 or whatever. And then basically, uh, <laughs> basically, I guess keeps to his word in a more literal sense because he said, quote, we are evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard. And evaluate, they sure as hell did, because they went, they went and bought them. However, a day later, Spencer is said to have planted the seed of Microsoft's Activision of uh, acquisition of Activision. On November 19, 2021, quote, In the course of a conversation on a different topic between Spencer and Kotick, Spencer raised that Microsoft was interested in discussing strategic opportunities between Activision and Microsoft and asked whether it would be possible to have a call with Microsoft CEO Mr. Nadella the following day, end quote. This is according to the regulatory filing. After making Activision Blizzard's board of directors aware of the conversation, Kotick said that he had spoken with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella the following day, November 20th, where Nadella indicated that Microsoft was interested in acquiring the company. The full regulatory filing details two months of negotiation that followed, eventually concluding the deal's official announcement on January 18th, when the whole world was shook with the announcement. Bobby Kotick reached out to several other companies before the announcement. The filing claims, however, it does not state which companies uh, those th those were. So I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't look really great. We we've been talking, you know, about the opportunistic nature of Microsoft acquiring Activision. I don't think that's a, a really good look. But I also know we're not supposed to. I don't know. I, we're all tired of it. Listen, I don't I don't want to instigate. I don't want to upset anyone. We're all tired of the story. It's it's uh, obviously we have to agree on some extent. It's not it's not great. At least from a moralistic standpoint, this is not great. However. There's a lot of value this brings to the gamer, the consumer, and hopefully this helps reshape some of the issues uh, that exist at Activision Blizzard. So is it a bad situation? Yes. Can can some good come of it? Yes. Let's just agree to let bygones be bygones. There is the update. I'm not thrilled with it. Doesn't matter what I think. Let's move on with our lives because I said we would stop talking about this bullshit. I'm sad. My heart hurts. And uh, you guys have all made me less of a human by uh, enabling this kind of discussion. And that's that's just me playing the blame game. How disgusting of me. I'm so sorry, guys. I take it back. Give yourselves a pat on the back. You're all beautiful in your own way. Also, hard Mountain Dew. 5% alcohol content. Wow. That's exactly what you'd expect. All right. With all that out of the way, guys, let's jump into the part of the show that people actually look forward to, the part that brings a smile to our faces, makes little, little children um, uh, dream big dreams and put their lost teeth under their pillows, which then turn to currency because there's some fucking creep out there who's stealing kids' old teeth in exchange for, like, $1 bills. I don't, you know, with inflation, you got to think that shit's got to be worth more than a dollar, maybe a dollar twenty-nine at this point, but whatever. Tooth fairy's cheap as fuck. Anyway, let's get into our comments, our first comment here. And, and, and by the way, guys, you know how it works. If you ever want to comment in, you go to youtube.com slash Podcast, click on the latest episode of the podcast, drop a comment. You can say anything nice like, Jesse, uh, thank you for glossing over the Activision stuff. We're really tired of talking about it. We'd much rather hear about Crossfire X. It's obviously the thing we're all here to listen to today. And I'd be like, thanks, bro. Or you could be a total dick. You could say, Jesse, you're not a real Xbox gamer. You're playing Crossfire. Crossfire is not a real Xbox game because in the menus, there's a little cursor. So it's basically just a shitty PC port on Xbox, but you're too stupid to notice that. You're too tasteless to understand that. Go get help. You need help. In fact, don't get help. Go rot in a, in a jail cell. In fact, don't rot in a jail cell. Go outside in Florida and wait for a hurricane to come and take you away from the, this wretched world. And I'll say, fuck 
That's a pretty good idea. So our first comment here comes from Mr. Sam Torres, and this is in regards to the Platinum Games stories that have been in the news the past two weeks. And he says, Jesse, I go on a retro gaming sabbatical for a few months and return, and you've turned my favorite Xbox podcast into a Nintendo-centric telethon? Get these tear-soaked tissues out of here. Good podcast. Just the same. Scalebound would take Platinum forever to make. How long have they worked on... How long have they worked to finish Bayonetta 3? And to your point about loving Xbox One, yep, we had a lot fewer titles back in those days, but the fun stuff came out, and that bus always had open seats on it. I love that. It's cute. Yeah, dude, that's that's actually a good point about about Bayonetta 3. That game's been in development for practically ever, so you got to think what a massive money sink that is for Microsoft to just go back to a game they already canceled, knowing full well that the developer slash publisher is still in the state where they just cannot get games out at a pretty consistent, reliable clip. Again, Xbox, endless money. Look at what they're doing, Game Pass. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you always spend it. You still got to be wise with it. That kind of mentality would make you poor if you were just buying everything just to buy it. I know it sounds a little hypocritical just getting off a story by Activision Blizzard, but shh. Next comment about Platinum says, this is from Josiah Cronky. He says, wait, is Platinum Games trying to pitch themselves to Xbox to acquire them? That's weird. That's a weird way to do that. Yeah, I agree. It is. It seems desperate, as we said in the, uh, last week. And I, I, I wonder if Platinum's kind of screwed, you know? You, you got to think they're in a situation right now where they're like kind of desperate for some partnership. And they're saying, hey, we're open to acquire, uh, to an acquisition, you know, aside from like, a deal with Nintendo for a Bayonetta game or something like that. We're not really so sure that we're going to make it on our own, which is kind of weird because it seems like for every three games they make, two of them are hits. They just have a little bit of an inconsistent track record. So it's uh, it's not great, and I hate to see this happen to Platinum, but um, yeah, it seems like they're kind of whoring themselves out to Xbox, and Xbox is like, nah, and they just they keep, you know, Platinum Games is that hoe on the corner who's just like, boy, you, you down for a good time. And, and they think just because Microsoft comes rolling up in, in a nice car with uh, chrome wheels and loud hip-hop music and tinted windows that, that this is just going to be someone who's, like, down to clown. But it's like, hey, you're just assuming. You're stereotyping. And I don't appreciate that. Just because I have money and I like to spend it in flashy ways, you know, acquisitions like Activision, doesn't mean that I'm interested in Platinum Games, you stupid, disgusting, dirty street rat. And then that that's just disgusting. It's all around. Street rat is actually what they called Aladdin in the 1992 animated classic Aladdin. A very good movie. I highly recommend you watch it instead of the live-action Aladdin that Epcot is promoting in their new nighttime spectacular. Not very good shit. All right, Crossfire X. I know you guys all want to hear about it. I want to hear about it, that's for sure. Sam Torres writes in again. That's right. Sam Torres, gone for about a month, comes back with a vengeance. We got him all over the news. If you got a problem with that, there's a million other Xbox podcasts out there. But this is the Xbox on Sam Torres podcast. And no, I don't mean that in a sexual way. Sam Torres says, go ahead, Jesse. Like Crossfire X. Love Crossfire X. At least you're actually playing it. Good for you. Stand up for the, our 7 out of 10s because we need them. And you know what, Sam? I know you're being a little facetious. You're being a little tongue-in-cheek. But I actually appreciate that comment because, quite honestly, this is... And I know I've ranted about this on, on this podcast before, but this is some this is a stance I've had for a long time, something that's really flustered me. In fact, this is one of the only uh, YouTube videos I made way back in the day before Xbox One was even a thing that I, I look back on and I'm like, hey, that was actually a good video that I don't cringe at. Talking about the downfall of the double-A game, the downfall of the movie license game and all that shit. I think this is where gaming has its most character. And I know most of this has been like kind of 
supplanted by the indie game. I get that. It's like, you know, you got your AAA, cool, crappy, awesome, 9 out of 10, awesome, peach fuzz physics games, and everyone loves that. But basically for all other needs, that's what the indie game is for. But I, I do really resent that we live in a world where you don't get as much of the AA. And, of course, you know, you got Coke Media with, this, with Saber Interactive and all these guys with the buying up all the mid, mid-tier developers at THQ Nordics and whatnot. But I still feel like we just don't get enough of this. And I have a real soft spot for this. As someone who really grew up, especially on, like, licensed movie games, like playing all the stupid, like, Pixar movie games and playing, like, Spider-Man 2 and all this shit, I really, really do miss... Games that are like you're able to pick it up and play and be like, okay, this game is obviously under under uh, developed. This game is obviously needed a little more money, a little more time. This game is obviously not a masterclass in game de- game design, but it's quirky and different, and you're able to love it despite its flaws. And I just I don't I don't know if that's something we should necessarily be advocating for or missing, but I find myself in a position where I nonetheless I do miss that. And Crossfire X absolutely feels like that a little bit for me. It's like it's a little bit like um an underdog game for me because I'm like, yeah, I know people don't like this game and yeah, I know it's uh, it's player base probably isn't going to stick around for very long, but you know, I'm happy to be one of the few dumbasses that that puts their money down, buys the battle pass, plays this game every night, works on all the unlockable content. You know, it's like it, it reminds me of a lot of these beer tea shoot. It's or not even B tier. It's like C or D tier shooters that I used to play uh, back in the day, like the fucking Conduit and the Conduit Two on Nintendo Wii. Like I fucking love those games so much. And actually, a lot of Crossfire X reminds me of that, where it's like, yeah, I know why you. I get how someone could pick up the controller and be like, yo, why would anyone play this when you could just play Call of Duty, Halo, Battlefield, and insert any other big franchise that generally has much better games, first-person shooters than this? Sure, I get that, but like, yeah, Crossfire X has a lot of fucking flaws, but it's different, it's unique, it's fun, it has its weird little personality, and I like it for what it is, and I, 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 I find it enduring and charming, and I, and I love it. So, Sam Torres, unironically, or maybe not, I, I agree with you. I I wish we got more of the the six out of tens, the ten, the seven out of tens, in the way we used to, where it was like it doesn't matter if this game is the biggest shit in the world or if the critics love it. It's it's a fun game, damn it, and we're all gonna remember it fondly when it's old enough to be remembered fondly, which I think generally tends to be like five or seven years after it comes out. Mister Miggy writes in, moving on, and says, "I had more of those chicken tacos at Taco Bell while I was listening to this podcast. Ha ha ha! They're addicting, but a bit pricey for something so small. I'll agree with that. I'll give Crossfire X a shot since you seem to be enjoying it. A lot of the time, what the masses are complaining about tend to not be the whole story for everyone's experiences. Also, I'm happy that the next gen update for Cyberpunk." is here it means i can finally do my second playthrough as for those base ps4 and xbox one players who were quote fucked as you say they did have the ability to get a refund as they extended uh the refund window for the game significantly after it came out so i wouldn't say that they're fucked just that they shouldn't rebuy the game until they have a new console mr miggy i agree with the first half of your comment i disagree with the second half of your comment let's start with crossfire x because quite frankly it's the only part i give a shit about now let me know what you think about it, Mr. Mickey. I, you don't have to love it. In fact, there's probably a good chance you're not going to love it. But let me know what you think. I, I genuinely want to know 
your take on Crossfire X. I just enjoy that perspective, especially when you know you're not like a like a mainstream game outlet that just feels the pressure to hate it just to be in the cool kids club. Like I genuinely want to know what you think about it. And uh, let's talk about the Cyberpunk stuff. I'm glad you love Cyberpunk. I'm glad you got a second playthrough on the way now. That's all updated and pretty. That's great. I'm looking forward to playing it myself as well. Whenever I get around to it, fuck, I'm backlog drowning. But anyway. This whole I, this whole notion that like PlayStation Four and Xbox One owners weren't fucked because they could get a refund doesn't jive with me because yeah sure you could have got a refund you're you still got fucked you still got lied to and manipulated because you were marketed this game for years they promised it on on older hardware and then they released it on older hardware they hid it from the public they didn't tell you about it they didn't show you what it looked like they didn't tell anyone how fucking broken the experience was and they knowingly sold you that product with full understanding that that game was broken that is slimy slimy shit mr mingy that deserves zero uh defense zero defense and so, yeah, did they do the right thing by allowing you to get a refund? Of course, yeah, of course, that was the right thing to do. You would be the absolute scum of the earth to not allow for a refund after what happened with... And, and I'm not talking about... Because as someone who owns a Series X and played the first two hours of Cyberpunk just to see if it was really as broken as people will say, I will say, Cyberpunk, while it didn't look the prettiest on my Series X, the two hours I played of that game when it first came out, when it was supposed to be absolutely broken, I didn't experience any bugs. The game played just fine for me. I don't have any issues with the performance of the game. I think visually it looks kind of like meh, but it performed very, very well. So I'll say that. So I didn't I didn't get to experience it on Xbox One. I didn't get to experience it on PS4. But, you know, unless everyone's just fucking lying, the state in which that game launched on PS4 and Xbox One, especially PS4, is absolutely inexcusable. And you cannot you cannot give them an out because they did kind of the thing they had to do, which was offer a refund. And, and they're still fucked because you shouldn't have to get a next-gen console to play a game that, again, was marketed and sold to you for a different console. So, yeah, you could return your PS4 copy and wait till you get a Series X or PS5, sure. But, again, they lied to you all the way up to taking your money initially just to tell you, oh, fuck, you need to play on something else. That That doesn't deserve defending even if they're making right on the wrong today that's the kind of thing you don't you don't forget about I, I really think gamers are so quick to be like fuck this company fuck this game fuck everything 10 out of 10 i'm going to find the developers of this game i'm going to find the qa testers i'm going to find the marketers of this game i'm going to find everyone involved with this game i'm going to dm them on twitter and i'm going to try and try and threaten their lives i will find out who the 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 the, the art director's niece's child uh, child's uh, uh, friend is in in elementary school in in michigan and i will try and have that kid fucking murdered because you fucked up with this game and then like time passes time passes update free dlc update free dlc big hype relaunch for the game that same person that was sending death threats is now like this game is fun to play. I like to play it with my um, friends at school. And I'm not, and I'm, Mr. Mickey, I'm not accusing you of being that guy. I, I want to make that clear. But gamers are, they're, they're so easy to like get irritated and mad and, and be like, this is the worst shit ever. And then they're way too easy, for, way too quick to forgive it. Keep it in, in perspective. We can like Cyberpunk 2077, enjoy the game, because I'm sure it is a great game. I, I'm going to get around to it. I'm sure it's a great game. But don't don't forget or forgive what CD Projekt Red did with this game because it's completely fucked and it's inexcusable and it's unjustifiable. So I don't I don't think we should be 
playing the hard one side than hard the other. Let's just let's be honest about what it is. They're making it better if you're a next-gen console owner, if you're one of the few lucky people that has a spare $500 and just so happens to ha- have the opportunity, the privilege to buy a fucking PS5 or Series X despite how impossibly hard they are to get. If you're one of the people who has that privilege and opportunity to get that thing, great for you. You can enjoy Cyberpunk. Or if, if you know, you got an Epic Gamer PC. But, you know, for most people... You know, think about it. We talked about well over 100 million PS4s have been sold. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of people playing Cyberpunk on PS4. That that's that's inexcusable. Mr. Miggy, enjoy your second playthrough. Josiah, also known as Cronky, because we only have like two people commenting again and again and again this week, writes in and says Crossfire X is actually really good. It's for the intellectual gamers, though, not you cod-loving losers. Also, I will defend the zombies mode. It's fun. That's all there is to it. The only issue is you really need an LMG or a shotgun to fight zombies, and I have neither yet. Well, Cronky, you're right about zombies mode. I, I, I unlocked an LMG and then went back and played it again. Much, much better with an LMG, you're right, but it shouldn't. You, you should be able to play the game with other weapons. I feel like you are both attacking and taking my side in this comment because you're like, uh, you Call of Duty loving losers, you know you know I love Call of Duty, but you're also defending Crossfire and you know I love Crossfire. So, Kronky, pick a method of attack and just n- drill it hard. Don't, don't be jumping around like this. I can't, it's confusing. David I305I writes in for the first time in a while. Welcome back, David, and says, What the fudge? So Crossfire X level 8 on the battle pass right now, and on Halo Infinite level 4. At least tell us a story about Boogeyman. If you're going to talk about Crossfire X, keep up the great work, the podcast. At least invite your brother once a month on the podcast, please. And on your second channel, make a video on <laughs> contractors on the Oculus Quest 2 with the new mod maps from Halo and Call of Duty. Uh, I'm having a blast with my VR Quest 2 gamer tag being David I305I. David, a couple things. We're all over the map here. I don't know what you're saying. Are you telling me what my battle pass level is in, in Halo and in Crossfire? Because you're wrong on both, if that's what you're saying. Or are you telling me what yours is? Because I think you're still wrong because I, I, I know how much you love Halo Infinite. You've played it with us on stream multiple times. you got to be above level 4 on the battle pass in Halo. So wh- what are you getting at there, first of all? Second of all, thank you for the comment. I, I gotta say, I want to do videos on my YouTube channel playing using footage from Oculus Quest 2. In fact, I really wanted to do my my VR chat video with the Oculus Quest 2, but I don't know how well you may be aware of this. Uh, getting gameplay footage and syncing it up with voiceover on Oculus Quest 2 is practically impossible. It's complete bullshit how not possible it is to do that. So I had I have not been able to do that, but I would love to make videos with uh, VR if if there is a more more approachable way of doing so. But yes, be on the lookout. This week I'm I'm off right now because just work shit and I'm out of town this weekend. But YouTube coming back real soon. Be on the lookout. And finally, rounding us out for the week, uh, Tech Daddy K writes in. In Tech Daddy, he's one of the ultimate commenters. His profile picture is a Lego making a smirk face, and I just love that so much. And he says, just wanted to say that this is my favorite PlayStation podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Tech Daddy. Uh, we, we love you. Uh, your family loves you. And guess what? When you get home, I left a Kit Kat bar on your computer desk. It's just there for you, waiting for you. I left it at 63 degrees, the perfect temperature to consume a Kit Kat bar at. So you enjoy that. Make sure you know it's a little chilly, but not too cold. That's going to hurt your teeth. Got to protect Tech Daddy's teeth. 
All right, that's going to do it for all of our comments, shout-outs, whatnot. Remember, guys, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. And, and by reply, I mean give me some fucking comments. I'm running out of comments, and it's starting to make me look bad if I don't have comments. Remember, I said this many times on the show before. It is up to you as the listener to make me look good. I can only do so much self-promoting. If you're not leaving comments, if you're not sharing the show, if you're not leaving five-star reviews, if you're not telling your friends, your family, your coworkers, your dog about Xbox On, that's you failing me. And I don't appreciate that. And for those of you who are like completely oblivious, that's that's called s- sarcasm. I've had people try and get onto me for making those jokes before. That's that's called sarcasm. It's okay to joke every now and then. You can you can laugh. Please unclench your butt cheeks. Now let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you a little bit about what I've been eating. And here's all I have to say about what I've been eating: is four words. Fuck Joe's Crab Shack. Now, you guys know I'm a Landry's man. Shout out to Rainforest Cafe. Shout out to T-Rex. Shout out to uh, Saltgrass. Big Landry's man. I'm a card-carrying Landry Select member, obviously. When people see me rolling around town, they know I'll be carrying. They know I got that card in my wallet. Yes, it's that big, thick, black card. And everyone goes, whoa, Landry Select member. And I go, step aside, peons. And I fucking slap that car down the host stand and they sit me right away at the rainforest cafe give me a nice spot right by the waterfall where i can get a view of the uh of the bar but also the uh the chimpanzees so that when they start banging their chest during the the rainforest thing you know it's every good seat well landry select actually landry select landry's the restaurant group the owners of the rainforest cafe actually acquired joe's crab shack the popular seafood chain crab boil restaurant uh, maybe four or five years ago don't ask me why i know that i don't read these wikipedia pages of restaurant groups spoiler alert yes i do but they they acquired them a couple years ago so because of that I've been meaning to get around to Joe's Crab Shack because, you know, I get my rewards points when I eat there. I get my gift cards when I eat there. And plus, I want to try every Landry's-owned restaurant that I can just because it's it's a fun little uh, personal bucket list. Some people aspire to cure cancer. Some people aspire to become the president of the United States. I aspire to simply eat at every Landry's or Disney-owned restaurant in existence. Simple man, simple task in life. And it is, uh, it's it's a fun and fulfilling thing to do. But I've I, my girlfriend and I found ourselves in a situation this weekend where for the first time, we finally went to Joe's Crab Shack. And I got to tell you, I regret everything. This place is boring. I, I don't even have mean things to say. Like, I'm not even trying to be mean. Like, if you enjoy Joe's Crab Shack, more power to you. I'm not, like, it wasn't that the food was bad. It wasn't that the service was bad. It was just that the restaurant is boring. The food is boring. The experience is boring. Joe's Crab Shack needs, like, a, does anybody remember the show? And I, I, I can't imagine anyone does. What Extreme... Boys versus Girls Extreme Makeover Bedroom Makeover. What the fuck was it called? It was on one of those channels, the kids' version of one of those channels. Maybe it was Travel. Maybe it was fucking Nat Geo. I don't know. And uh, you know, the kids were like, "Whoa, I'm gonna decorate my sister's room and make it pink and put Barbie on the wall." And the girls were like, "I'm gonna decorate my my brother's room. I'm gonna make it blue and put fucking Nerf guns everywhere." And it was like, "Whoa, that's cool." That kid sleeps on a bunk bed and then to get down from his bunk bed every day he goes through a tube slide and slides down to the the, to the the door of his bedroom like that's fucking cool his friends from school are all going to be jealous he will get so many girlfriends doing that shit but you go over to joe's crab shack and it's not like that it's just a plain place they got little maps on the wall they try to act like a little bit of a margaritaville um sea sea shack seaside sea shack kind of establishment, get a crab, eat a fish, pay a bill. It's not fun. 
It just feels dead. It feels dated. It feels drab. It doesn't have like a 90s charm or an early aughts charm to it. It just has a very sad and depressing atmosphere and you want it to end, but the prices are a little too high and the food is like just okay, entirely forgettable. And you leave and you go, wow, that was too much money for not good food and not good atmosphere. And I, and I kind of, I kind of miss having that money back in my wallet. I wish I, I chose to fast this evening instead of dying at the Joe's Crab Shack. So I'm here. Uh, take this as a fable, if you will. Do not dine at the Joe's Crab Shack. And if you do, please consult your doctor because there might be something wrong with you. If you if you have to get the crab boil, go to like one of those random like places that's always called like Crab Crab Shack or Juicy Crab or Fiery Crab or Snappy Crab or whatever. They're, they're always like these little one-off restaurants. They're much better. They're cheaper. You'll do your you'll thank me later. Just do it. Now that's it for what I've been eating, guys. But it's time to get into what I've been playing, of which I don't feel like we can really talk about this a whole lot because I have been so absurdly addicted to Crossfire X that it is almost exclusively what I played. I try to get a little more into Far Cry 6 because I really want to finish that up. I don't want it to fall by the wayside. And I really enjoy it. I played like another hour Far Cry 6. And for like the first 20 minutes, I was like, yeah, this game's good. I got to stick with this. I got to beat it. And then by the end of that hour, I was like, I just want to play. This game's great. Don't get me wrong. I just want to play Crossfire X. And we played Halo Infinite on stream last night uh, for the first time in a while. I haven't really played that game in maybe a month. And I was like, you know what? I, I wish Halo Infinite were calling to me. I don't know why this game's just not calling to me. It needs more content. It needs something. I don't know what it is. But you know, we played a little bit on stream. I was like, okay, this is actually, I'm actually having a decent time playing Halo for the first time in a while. And then by the end of the stream, I was just like, nah, I just want to play Crossfire X, if I'm being honest with you. And so this past week, this past weekend, I played so much goddamn Crossfire X that you would think that I I am now officially a Korean person, um, an employee for Smilegate, a developer behind the game, taking to his um, little Xbox podcast to tell the, the fine listeners to uh, support my game that I worked so hard on that's getting completely trashed and uh, obliterated by the reviews. But man, this game is just... I, I'll, I'll leave out the multiplayer stuff. We talked about multiplayer extensive last, last week. I know most people aren't digging this. It's not most people's game. I don't have much else to say other than I did... There's two campaigns in the game. They're both these two-hour little campaigns. Um, the first one is made by Remedy, the guys behind Control, Mad Max, Alan Wake, Quantum Break. Um, very... Xbox history developer. The second campaign is made by Smilegate, the guys that make Crossfire. So really interesting collaboration, but it looks like Remedy also had some at least creative input on the second campaign, although playing through both of them, I'm not finished with the second one yet. I've only played the first one all the way through. You can definitely tell which one Remedy made. They're very, it's night and day different, like from a storytelling perspective and the character writing and everything which one is from Remedy and which one's not. But I, I gotta say, I played through the Remedy campaign completely, and this is... I'm kind of conflicted, because you see all the people talking about how this game runs and looks like shit, and it's just not properly completed and optimized. This is kind of where that comes to fruition. The game... The, the campaigns on this game are a little rough. Uh, the screen tearing, weird buggy frame rates, not completely great. Now, it's not like terrible it's not like going from 60 to 30 fps constantly but it is bugging out a little bit it, to a noticeable extent and um the screen tearing was was a thing for sure and i'm playing on series x so this is kind of inexcusable but that's where this is where the performance issues finally came because i i was not experiencing any performance issues when i played the game on multiplayer but it, it's weird. It's like how last week I was telling you, if you play classic multiplayer or modern multiplayer, they feel very different. They play almost like two different games. Well, if you play campaign, 
campaign plays like a third game because the aim sensitivity is a lot more like a traditional FPS console game. The movement speed is way faster. You can pick up enemy weapons. You can slide like in Call of Duty um, a lot more. And it's just the, the, the handling feels entirely different. The aim reticles are different. Some of the animations are different. The entire game just feels like a totally different experience. When you play the campaign versus the multiplayer, but still tied enough that you're able to be like, okay, I guess this is Crossfire X. It's so, it's so weird, man. But with that caveat being out of, out of the way, I, I gotta say, man, my two hours spent with the uh, Rhymedy campaign, the first of the two campaigns, I enjoyed thoroughly. I thought, you know, it's it's very B, B team kind of content. The story is very like fast and cheesy and whatever. It reminds me, I'll, I'll say this, I'm, ha- I'm halfway through the second campaign right now. From playing these, it feels like M-rated G.I. Joe. That's what Crossfire feels like to me, and I, and I fucking love it. It's it's like if you grew up loving G.I. Joe and now you're a big boy and you kind of feel nostalgic for that shit, that's what it is. It's like here's the the team that's like um, Corporation, like Hitman for Hire, and then like the, the, um, the other team is like this resistance group that's a little more like, you know, against the grain, but the resistance fighters and they have like these different takes on these stories and they're always like at war with one another and there's like these villainous characters and shit and it gets a little like supernatural and a little like sci-fi towards the end and it's fun and it's completely wacky and wacky and not grounded at all but it's it's super goofy if you just accept it as like cheesy b-tier fun romp it is such a fun two hours. I love it, especially that remedy campaign. You're changing perspective from all the different players of the squad, and you play together. And like they got like their banter and their personalities, and it's fun. It's not that great, but it's a good time, and you thoroughly enjoy it. And the moment to moment gameplay is pretty damn fun. The level variety is really fun. The huge action set pieces, very Call of Duty like in that regard. But the the action never slows down and never loses your interest. And having that fast, tight story in just two hours keeps you on your toes from start to finish. I had a great time with the campaign. It's really fun shit. And it feels authentically Remedy, which is something weird. I saw so many reviewers saying, like, you wouldn't know Remedy made this. It's so shitty. It's nothing like the others. You know Remedy made this. The narrator is, like, the main character of the game is narrating the game while you play, and he's talking to himself literally just like Alan Wake. And, like, it's just like Control where there's, like, these dream scenes where, like, you wake up and you're in your bed, and then you get out of your bed and you walk through your house, and then, like, the hallway starts, like, turning, and, like, the dimensions start shaping and shifting, like, fucking, like, you're playing Control. And it's like, dude, this feels so much like a Remedy game. The characters' faces look like characters from Remedy games. The dialogue is written like a Remedy game. It, it's like if you, it, and dude, the credit, like the, one of the first people in the credits of this game is Sam Lake, the guy who wrote Mad Max and Alan Wake and all these fucking Remedy games. So huge Remedy talent was responsible for this game. Now, obviously, it was probably a project they took on to make some money. It is obviously something they didn't have proper, probably funding and time to really flesh out and develop properly. So you can kind of assume how someone as talented as Remedy ended up making a game that is not as highly regarded AAA, polished to the max, like Crossfire, whatever. I walked away from that two hours thinking, like, that was fucking awesome. Like, I enjoyed the hell of it to the point where... I have every intention of replaying this campaign just for fun. There's no achievements in the campaign. All the, all the achievements are purely multiplayer. I have every intention of replaying this campaign just for the hell of it because I think the world's cool. I think the characters are cool. I thought the gameplay was fun. And it's like the same reason why I keep rewatching that stupid fucking Snake Eyes G.I. Joe movie that came out last year because it's like, yeah, of course, it's not fucking like highbrow nerd entertainment like what your fucking Lord of the Rings or Avengers Endgame or whatever. But like, 
it's fun. Like, yeah, the characters are poorly written at times, and some of the acting's wonky, and it's a little rough around the edges, but, like, it's fun. Do you guys remember fun? You remember when we weren't all trying to, like, have a dick measuring contest about who could think the most critically about why something is or isn't good and who could nitpick the most before, you know, we Star Wars The Last Jedi'd every fucking piece of entertainment that came out, and we just, like, accepted games and stories for what they were and, like, took the good out of them and, you know, let the bad be the bad and just had fun. Like, that's what this campaign was like. Now, I'm not finished with the second one. I'm enjoying the second one a lot, but not as much as the Remedy one. I, Dude, it's so sad to me that this game didn't get more development time and that it's being received so poorly because I would really, really love a world where Remedy has another crack at making another Crossfire campaign because I would play the hell out of that. I just think it's... I haven't been able to speak this enthusiastically about a game since Halo Infinite's campaign, but really, it's been a while since I've had games like this to really get hyped about, and uh, man, again, I'll I'll end it at that, because I know 90% of you are probably just like, dude, fuck off, no one cares about Crossfire. Talk about Horizon Forbidden West, talk about fucking Dying Light 2, talk about anything other than Crossfire, nobody cares, but... This game is it's calling to me, it's speaking to me. I'm having so much fun with it. It's super rough around the edges when you're playing the campaign. The multiplayer definitely has some aim issues and it has plenty of work to be done. Needs a lot more content in the multiplayer front. I don't care. I'm enjoying the hell out of this game. And um, especially whenever they fix that stupid problem they're having with the uh, campaign not being free to download through Game Pass, you guys need to give, you know, it's a fun little two hours of a Saturday. You know, maybe give it a try. Maybe not. Do what you want with your free time, but don't go to Joe's Crab Shack. Now, guys, that's it for all the opening bands or the what I've been playing, the comments, talking about your friends, your family, your loved ones, your Xboxes. Let's move on to this little section we like to call the news. All right, our first news story of the week. Let's shit on EA. Now, I saw a lot of people really running home with this story. I feel like people got a little away from it. it this is whatever. Let's just get into it, and then we'll talk. But all right, as relayed by VGC, Electronic Arts has reportedly attributed some of Battlefield 2042's struggles to the surprise of an early launch of Halo Infinite's comp- comparatively polished multiplayer experience. Battlefield 2042 was released in mid-November and hasn't gone well with the uh, with the fans, with over 200,000 people even signing a petition asking EA to offer players unconditional refunds. Acknowledging the game's disappointing... That's ridiculous, by the way. Acknowledging the game's disappointing launch earlier this month, EA CEO Andrew Wilson blamed factors such as, quote, our teams working from home with nearly two years and unanticipated performance issues that only became evident once the game was played at scale. He admitted, quote, some of the design choices we made with the game also did not resonate with everyone in the community, too, unquote. Battlefield 2042's trouble launch was also addressed during EA's town hall meeting this week, according to industry insider and reliable leaker Tom Henderson, usually he's like a Call of Duty guy. During the meeting, EA's chief operating officer, Lara Miele, reportedly reiterated what Wilson had said earlier in the month, but she also partially attributed some Battlefield 2042's struggles to Halo Infinite. 343 Industries surprisingly launched Halo Infinite's free-to-play multiplayer component via a beta on November 15th, which was basically the final release, which was three days after Battlefield 2042's early access period started and four days before the game officially released worldwide. Henderson wrote in the report, which is on X-Fire, and this is the, the complete updated quote, quote, we launched an early access on a Thursday night and in the U.S. and Friday morning in the afternoon in Europe and Asia. The game was stable. The meantime between failure and hours in the game of the game was in 
the green by industry standards and early critical reception was good. The day-to-day player retention looked strong through the weekend, but then things started to turn. The following Monday, Halo did a surprise release of their own multiplayer mode. It was a small segment of the game, but it was very polished and it was not a favorable comparison to our experience given some of the bugs and polish issues that we had. This is Laura Mele, EA's chief studio officer, quoted saying all of that. Now, People ran with this as some jumbled up, chopped up earlier version of the quote that basically made it seem more like, oh, you know, thanks to Halo launching, it, it took, it stole Battlefield's thunder, fuck Halo. Now, that's that's not, not clearly quite what happened. Um, this is obviously them, <laughs> you know, kind of giving a multitude of factors for why they fucked up. And, and here's the thing is I I have a really hard time honestly speaking on Battlefield 2042 because here's the thing is I see I see videos of this game being completely broken you know the famous video of the guy driving a boat up the side of a, si- a skyscraper and, and, and videos of that nature just crazy crazy shit and I'm like wow that game must be really fucked but the problem is. I played seven or so hours of this game because, as you'll recall, Game Pass subscribers, EA uh, Play subscribers, get 10 hours of the game for free. You get a 10-hour trial run of the game. I played about seven-plus hours of that 10-hour trial of this game, and I really, really enjoyed my time. You might remember in November when that happened... I was raving about how this game was actually, actually against the odds, a really, really strong game in that I thought it was quite good and I I didn't find it to be very buggy and I didn't really know what all the fuss was about so I again I don't get what happened now granted I spent most of my time in the portal mode not playing the main mode which is where it seems like more of the bugs were happening but again I played some of that and I did not experience anything really out of the ordinary aside from you know like normal game glitches like fucking graphic clips of like oh you walked up against that tree and that branch kind of like clipped through the player like you know like regular video game shit So I feel kind of like a liar if I just get up here and talk about, well, the real reason why Battlefield failed is because it launched in a completely fucked state and it was completely broken from top to bottom. Because although that sounds like the thing you got to say to explain why Battlefield 2042 really is struggling, my experience with this game doesn't really back up or, or justify that at all. Now, that's not to say, you know, maybe... Players on on PC disproportionately experience more shit. Maybe I, I got lucky. Maybe I played on a different server. Maybe fucking Xbox versions running better than me. I, I don't know what kind of factors could contribute to this incredible gap in experience that I had versus what it seems like most other people on the internet are happening. Now, for example, I'll pull up resident listener, uh, Dead Captain James, big Battlefield fan, has said on multiple occasions... The game's pretty damn good. He enjoys the game quite a bit as a big Battlefield fan. It lives up to his expectations and that people are just kind of overreacting about. And the dead Captain James, feel free to to correct me if I'm misquoting you, but I believe you were even saying like people are basically just overreacting that the game is is in a rather solid and fun and playable state. Now, maybe someone else wrote that in, so again, correct me if I'm mistaken, but I just, again, it's like, is this one of those things where like kind of how I'm up here defending the hell out of Crossfire X saying, yes, the game is a little rough around the edges. It's not perfect. There's plenty of valid criticism to be levied against this game, but it is not a 2 out of 10. It is not a 3 out of 10. People are out of their fucking minds if they're going to say this game is that bad. It is, you know, a 6 out of 10 maybe. Like, let's be reasonable here. That's kind of how I feel with Battlefield because I want to be able to understand why people are so up in arms about this game, but, like, I, I don't see it in my own experience and from what those people who I know, you know, 
in real life or communicated with directly have said about the game. Now, I know what YouTubers have said about the game. I know what people, random talking heads on Twitter have said, but I, again, it's just, I haven't seen this game to be entirely broken. So I'm, I'm here wondering, is this because the the game's actual state it launched in, or is it one of those like the internet ran away with a message, or is it a little bit of both? And then also, you know, we see people just jumping at any opportunity, completely dunk on EA and dunk on this game anytime something's wrong. Talking about like, oh my god, they're blaming Halo. It's like, well, you y- you know, especially y- even if it's not that much of an impact. You can kind of understand why, if you're especially someone at a corporate level, if you're if you're like a fucking executive at EA, why you would want to bring up the Halo thing at least, especially if you're talking to like investors. But you you want to protect your brand and protect your reputation and justify um, your failures as much as possible, or or you know lighten the blow. And Halo is a convenient thing there. They're not saying, oh, Halo fucking sucks. They ruined it with by launching it. But they're saying like, hey. Obviously, we know how games work. We know all the time in, in AAA space, the game like um, every E3, right? Like five games will be coincidentally announced for like to release around the same time, like November 17th or 18th or whatever. It's like, whoa! it seems like all the fall's biggest games are releasing like that week or like on that Wednesday or that Tuesday or that Friday. And then as you get closer and closer to the date, you start to see publishers delay and move the dates of games like this game gets delayed to February. This game gets moved up to September. This game gets delayed to January. This game, gets, you know, and that's just kind of the nature of the industry is everyone wants to get out of everyone else's way so they can have their game kind of shine. It's not all that common where people are like, yeah, well, our game is kind of independent of that game and the sales of that game won't affect the sales of our game. But you look at Battlefield 2042 and Halo Infinite, two first-person shooters, especially considering Battlefield 2042 had its marketing tie-in deal with Xbox. Yeah, that's a huge crossover, especially with Halo being the first time Halo's come to PC ever from a day-and-date perspective and it's free-to-play. Yeah, Battlefield's a pretty PC-centric game. That's that's a huge crossover. So you could see why EA would want to attribute Halo's surprise multiplayer launch to some of what took the thunder away from Battlefield. I think that's, I think it's actually pretty valid. Now, of course, it, 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 we can sit here all day talking about the the way, the inflection, the intention of the way they said what they said and whatever gains the semantics of it, but. I feel like that's kind of a valid concern to have. It doesn't, they're not necessarily saying like, well, the game was perfect, but Halo fucked it up. They're saying, well, it was a multitude of reasons, but one of them was Halo. Might seem like a little bit of damage control, might seem a little PRE, but like, I think it's kind of justifiable to say, especially considering when I played Battlefield, I thought the game looked and ran really, really damn well on my Xbox. And when I played Halo Infinite, I thought the game looked and played really great on my Xbox. In fact, I played Battlefield 2042 and Halo Infinite the exact same way on an Xbox Series X right when they launched um, with very, very for free because they were both included with my Game Pass subscription. And both of them were kind of a similar thing. It's like limited content, kind of launching an incomplete, st- in- incomplete state, but uh, they were both pretty polished uh, and worked out around the edges from what I experienced. So it's it's hard for me to not play those games. And, you know, I, look at me. I'm someone who chose Halo over Battlefield. If, if Halo Infinite didn't come out last fall, I would have played Battlefield 2042 a lot more than I did. I would have played Call, Call of Duty Vanguard a lot more than I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's true for a lot of people listening to this show. If Halo didn't come out, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast right now would have put more time into Battlefield 2042. So it's not an invalid criticism. Now, 
again, I'm not trying to sit here and say everyone's lying, the game's not broken, it doesn't have issues. I'm sure it does. I just personally didn't really come across that stuff. So the other thing is, unfortunately, these 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 messages do they do have power. You know, if, if really big influencers, if really big media outlets are saying, hey, this game is fucking broken, let's say they're absolutely wrong. Let's say they're lying. I don't think that's the case. I'm sure these people were telling the truth for the most part, but like, let's just assume all these people are lying. There's still a lot of influence from these people's words and, and they affect their audiences and people do or don't want to play them. Like, I'm sure there are people who are listening to this podcast who are like, oh yeah, Crossfire X is completely broken, and stupid, and everyone says it sucks. And then they listen to me just swoon over this game and just sing its praises and say, guys, don't listen to the noise. Please give it a try. And maybe if you're a fan of this podcast, you're like, you know what, Jesse, your excitement for the game was contagious and it made me want to give it a try. So I'm going to give it a try. Maybe you played it and you decided you didn't like it, but you know, the, the, the media we consume, the podcast, the YouTube videos, the video game websites we read, all these things, they have an influence over us. I'm not, you know, like they, they hearing people talk about a product makes you aware of it. Hearing people rave about how great something is makes you excited about it makes you want to try it, even if it's not something you traditionally want to play having people tell you how terrible something is makes you probably inclined to believe it's likely a terrible experience whether you've tried it or not so there's so many factors at play here between yeah i'm sure halo actually did have something to do with this when you consider that halo's biggest market was console or pc which is also battlefield's biggest market and i'm sure the state in which the game launched did have something to do with it but i'm also sure that battlefield just launched up against call of duty and halo and it's just a competitive market and someone had to fall out you know and the verdict was call of duty is safe but boring uh battlefield 2042 is completely fucking broken and halo infinite is free to play awesome return to form for halo when that's the buzz you're hearing in the industry how can you not gravitate towards halo you're just like okay call of duty is more of the tired thing we're all really sick of seeing fuck off battlefield's completely broken that's too bad halo's really really good to return to form and we haven't had halo in like 60 years i'm gonna play halo like i i, I get it man but I don't know. I digress. I think I, I, I'm going to come out of this from the perspective of like, it's a pretty valid thing. Now I, I will also say I can't ignore the fact that EA mentions this and also, you know, EA being the team that launched or that sent Titanfall two out to die in 2016 by launching it smack dab in between battlefield one and call of duty infinite warfare. So a part of me is just like, this is fucking payback you assholes. But um, I just I just can't help but think about that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's not the most popular take, but I just can't help but feel like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I kind of get where they're coming from. All right, our next one here is from gamesindustry.biz. We haven't heard from them in a while. Ubisoft once made a point of its desire to remain independent as it tried to fight off an unparent takeover attempt by Vivendi. This is about five, like six or seven years ago, you might remember. But the publisher is striking a very different tone around buyouts today. In its third quarter earnings release, Ubisoft brought up the issue of consolidation in the industry immediately before emphasizing that, quote, Ubisoft's assets have never been so strong at a time when the value of assets has never been so high, end quote. When asked in a post-earnings conference call if it meant that now would be a good time to sell, Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont and CFO Frederick uh, Dugas uh, struck a very different tone about the issue. Quote, we have always taken our decision in the interests of our stakeholders, which are our players, employees, and shareholders, Gilmont said. So Ubisoft can remain independent. We all have the talent, the industry, and the financial scale in a large uh, portfolio of powerful IP. Having said that, if there were an offer to buy us, the board of directors, of course, would review the interests of all stakeholders. 
Later in the call, the executives were asked why Ubisoft hasn't received an offer given the value of its IP. Dugas responded, quote, we will not speculate on why people haven't made any offers before Gilmont interjected by specifying if any offer was made. Absolutely, Dugas said. So I can't comment on any anything further. What we can say is that, as mentioned, we have high value assets. We have the scale to remain independent and create very meaningful value for future for the future because we have the scale in terms of workforce as well as engineering technology, IPs, and total engagement communities. Now, I had to... I, I think I typoed up at the top of the show because this story reads completely different. Uh, the, hey, here's a little look at how I do Xbox on. I try to go in as blind as possible so you can get fresh takes on everything. But yeah, I, I initially read this as this was going to be a Ubisoft saying how they desire to remain independent. This is this is actually not that sexy because this <laughs> reminds me a little bit of what Platinum's doing where they're kind of like, hey, whoa, we're not for sale. We're not saying we're, we're for sale. You know, we're, we're not trying to get bought out. Uh, we're very independent. Our, our allegiance lies in our players and our shareholders. Like, no, 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 no. We're just here to, you know, be independent, make great content and serve our shareholders and players. But um, our assets are super high value. So, you know, if someone were to want to buy us, which they're not, maybe, probably, uh, I mean, f- fuck, Assassin's Creed makes a lot of money and uh, Tom Clancy is dead, but we still have the rights to his existence, so fuck you. And I, I can't help but read this statement again and again like like that because that's what this looks like. This is part of the problem with the Activision acquisition. Bethesda was... It was big enough of a, of a, of a deal that it was like, holy hell, everyone... How do you... No one saw that coming. How do you not see that coming? It was big enough that, like, it shook the world and sent a message and said Xbox means business and all this stuff while also being, like, kind of badass and like, okay, cool. I can... I'm... Oh, all right, man. That's kind of crazy that that happened. All right, I'm here for it. Fucking Bethesda, Xbox, let's, let's do this. It was just big enough that it struck that chord and didn't go overboard. Activision is definitely overboard because this is what we're seeing now is, is it's everyone's like, oh, oh, okay. So we're, we're talking about acquisitions like, like that, like uh, that caliber. I mean, oh, okay. You got like EA and Ubisoft walking around like, listen, I, I'm not necessarily looking to get, you know, butt fucked or anything, but you know, you see this little, this little butt plug hanging out from my, my backside. Yeah. I'm DTF boys. So, you know, DMs open, come, come and slide in. And I, it's it's frustrating because obviously Ubisoft, like any company, would talk once money is involved. You know, if someone put down the right price and said, "Here's what we can offer you," I think I think Ubisoft would be like, "Fuck! Remember when we announced that stupid fucking uh, battle royale that didn't take off, and that stupid uh, other game that no one cared about, and that whatever X defiant game that no one cared about, and that we haven't talked about in forever." Uh, what if instead of having to do that shit constantly, we just completely sold out to someone with a lot of money and just made a bunch of money and then they can have Assassin's Creed and Far Cry and just do that until the cows come home. I feel like that, you know, that's what company wouldn't have that stance and wouldn't feel that way, especially when you see, oh shit, they're buying Bethesda. Oh shit, they're buying Activision. That means all cards are on the table. That means everything's a possibility at this point. So again, they say they they want to remain independent. They say their you know their their allegiances to their consumer and to their shareholders. But dude, if 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 you're talking this way, it means you're talking both out of both sides of your mouth. It means you're saying, "Hi, we're like platinum. We're 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 DTF, but also we're not desperate like platinum. So I mean, if we gotta stay independent, you know, we'll stay independent. Whatever." Talking out of both sides of your mouth. 
Hi, Ubisoft. We, we know Ubisoft is one of the teams that's been rumored so many times. Sony should buy Ubisoft. Xbox should buy Ubisoft. Who's going to buy Ubisoft? Ubisoft and EA should merge into one. Uh, I think the, the whole industry should be owned by one company. I think Apple should buy the entire industry and, and, and put it on iPhone. Fuck you. This is what happens. This is what we have to talk about now because we're no longer in a world where the video games industry is about video games. It's all about social politics and studio acquisitions. I fucking hate this. If I knew this two years ago, I wouldn't have made an Xbox podcast. I would have made a podcast about bug collecting. It is my other big hobby. Bet you thought I was going to say Disney. No, it's bug collecting. Fuck you. Don't make fun of me. All right. Next story. This is what I'm actually interested to talk about because it's not about an acquisition. It's not about someone fucking molesting someone. It's about a video game. Whoa. We're going to talk about a video game on a video game podcast. Holy hell. Thank you, industry. VGC reports just cause developer Avalanche Studios, not to be confused with Avalanche Software, the team behind my beloved Disney Infinity in the recently, not recently announced, but upcoming uh, Hogwarts Legacy. Anyway, Avalanche Studios' new IP contraband will reportedly be focused on vehicular combat. Ooh, I hope this is true. Announced back in June 2021 at E3 uh, and set to be published by Xbox Game Studios for console and PC, Contraband is officially billed as a co-op smuggler's paradise set in the fictional world of 1970s Bayon. Bayon? I'm stupid, whatever. Fresh information about the open world title has been thin on the ground since... But Windows Central's Jez Corden claimed to know what the game is during a World of Gaming stream this past week. You think I would have pulled this story from Windows Central with that being the case? Anyway, quote, I got the design brief. It's sort of based entirely around vehicle vehicle combat. It's a very different type of game, said Jez Corden. Basically, you plan smuggling runs and heists and then you execute them it's sort of like the idea is to not kill your opponents the weapon revolves around sorry the weapons revolve around disabling enemy vehicles and taking out the tie the tires and stuff like that rather than going for massive killing sprees with bloodshed and all that kind of stuff there are also going to be sorts of tactical kind of action game you're also going for a sort of more tactical kind of action game where killing is sort of seen as a last resort and quote, in an Xbox Wire post when Contraband was announced last year, director Omar uh, Shakir called the studio called it the studio's most ambitious and spectacular game to date. Avalanche and Microsoft started discussing the project three years earlier, uh, Shakir said, but he didn't reveal how far along in development the title was. Quote, we're taking everything that we learned over the 18 years of being of being at the forefront of creating beautiful, vast open world games filled with stunning vistas and incredible emergent uh, gameplay moments to fully deliver on a vision for Contraband. We have an amazing team at Avalanche Software at Avalanche Studios that are pushing the boundaries with all next generation of our Apex engine, the technology behind all of our games, including the Just Cause series. We built the engine to unlock the creativity of our developers, and we're excited to take full advantage of the unique capabilities of Series X and S, as well, end quote. As well as Just Cause series, Stockholm's Swedish-based Avalanche also developed 2015's Mad Max and co-developed Rage 2 with id Software in 2019. Now, they mostly just developed that game. But anyway, this is cool to me i actually love this xbox is obviously very big on multiplayer games co-op games we got a lot of third person action games lots and lots of first person shooters i fucking love this idea for a game this makes me far more excited i love vehicles i love cars i love racing i love fighting while racing if they can somehow my only concern is that this game ends up being like a little too technical a little too nerdy uh but dude this is like I'm thinking like 
I don't know, like Bulletstorm, not Bulletstorm. What, what was that game called? That um, what was that PlayStation Three game called? The Motorstorm. That PlayStation game, Motorstorm. I kind of think of it like if this is like Motorstorm, but with like a kind of a more like tactical heist kind of element to it. That would be so fucking fun. I, I love this concept. It's incredibly unique. It adds variety to Game Pass. It adds variety to Xbox. I am all for this game. Now, this is the kind of game where, you know, it was hard to be excited about it at all because obviously they announced it with just a title screen and a little animation that showed literally nothing about the game in any form or capacity. So if this is really what we're getting, if this is the kind of thing we can maybe see sometime this year with a proper gameplay reveal, I think this is something that might be just right up my alley. But... Definitely a little niche at the same time because this is also the kind of game I I don't see appealing to a whole lot of people if that's exactly what this is. Um, So I wonder how, because this sounds kind of niche and Avalanche usually makes games that are, I feel like have a little more mass market appeal. So I wonder how you take something like this concept and make it more applicable to a wide audience. Obviously part of the beauty of Game Pass is that you can make a little bit of like everything for everyone. Um, And maybe if this isn't your game, you know, whatever, there's something else for you. But at the same time, I just feel like it's never really been in Avalanche's blood to make a game that wasn't like sandboxy, fun to pick up and play. I guess what I'm trying to say is gameplay oriented. You think about a game like Mad Max, a game like Rage 2, a game like um, like Just Cause. And I feel like the commonality in these games, aside from them being open world, is that they're so gameplay focused. They're so pick up and play fun focused where it's just about like, wow, the driving's fun. The combat's fun. The, the killing's fun. Um but you look at this, and it's like if it's trying to be more tactical and killing is kind of like a last resort kind of way of approaching it, I feel like that's going to inhibit this game from being really accessible and pick up and play. But at the same time, I could absolutely be wrong, and also they could be building it in a way where they intend for you to try and be more tactical, but you can end up basically just being guns blazing if that's your play style, in which case I would make it more accessible. But I, I don't know. This game just sounds like a... From a gameplay perspective, it sounds like a culmination of everything they've been working on with games like Just Cause and Mad Max. Um, but at, in even Rage 2, where vehicles played a more prominent role in that game. But at the same time, again, I just worry. What does this mean for being... A, I, I shouldn't say worry because I, I don't worry about this. It sounds very interesting to me. But I, I feel like this is a game that was kind of announced in position in a way of like, hey guys, big game exclusive for Xbox and we knew nothing about it and then it ends up turning out to be this more niche kind of for you know very specific players only and uh, I feel like that's just not a great look but Avalanche again traditionally the very gameplay very pick up and play fun focused games I feel like there's got to be a twist to this there's got to be a way this is really for everyone because I, I just I again tactical vehicular combat sounds kind of tedious right you think about like famous vehicular combat games it's like you like twisted metal and like mario kart and shit like that it's like it's got to be arcadey and fun and accessible but how do you do something so high speed while also adding a very tactical and deliberate approach to that gameplay i don't know i have a lot of questions about this game but this this synopsis this this pitch has me a lot more enthusiastic about what we might be getting with contraband uh, than I was, uh, you know, at least up until this point. All right, let's round out with our final main story of the week, you guys. Again, coming from VGC, we love them. You know them, we love them. They're they're everywhere. 
Dragon Age 4. Hey, remember Dragon Age? Is uh, Apparently, development is reportedly on schedule ahead of a potential release for 2023. So next year, I assume that means late 2023, so basically two years from now. But anyway, that's according to Venture Beat journalist Jeff Grubb, who provided an unofficial update on BioWare's game during the latest episode of his premium Giant Bomb show, Grub Snacks. Quote, that brings us to Dragon Age 4, which I've heard is in very good shape, he said, transcribed by VGC. Overall, when they look at where they're supposed to be in the development cycle, they're hitting all the milestones and when they're supposed to and where they're supposed to be, and the game is on schedule. Based on Grub sources, Dragon Age 4 is unlikely to release until the second half of next year at the earliest. Oh, like I just said. Quote, it still is at least 18 months out from today, so not early 2023, but maybe late 2023. Maybe. That seems to be the earliest you can expect it. Now, Bioware released the first full Dragon Age 4 trailer in December of 2020, but the game was in development long before that. We've been hearing reports about this game since maybe 2017. Quote, we were still in early production, but we brought, but we thought it was time to give you the very first look at BioWare's passionate team of developers, and they're crafting this very special game. That that's what BioWare said at the time of the announcement. It was claimed last year that EA had allowed BioWare to drop all planned live service elements from Dragon Age 4, and that the game would be primarily a single-player adventure, although it could still feature an online multiplayer component. And that's kind of where I want to put the crux of this argument because. From from what we've heard murmurings over the years, reports about this game, because again, it's just been in development for fucking ever. You know, if you if you had a baby when we start having having when we first started getting uh, murmurings about this game, if if you were if you were pregnant with a child back in those days, your kid's probably in fucking eighth grade at this point. So just think about it like that. That's a little exaggeration, but you know, not too far off from the truth. But anyway, it seems like that's what happened. Was this game was greenlit in an era of. EA wanting things like Anthem and shit like that. They wanted they wanted Destiny clones they or competitors. They wanted games as a service type content. And I think the guys was like, we want Dragon Age, but it's Fallout 76 or something like that. And it ended up, you know, as we saw with Anthem, Bioware can't fucking do this games as a service thing. You can't just force your developers to make a certain type of game because you want that kind of revenue. Sometimes you just got to let them make the games that they're equipped to fucking make, believe it or not. Surprise, surprise. So my take is that this game probably got pretty far into development at one point, and it was like a games as a service, live service type game, and then they had to scrap a bunch of it once we got years down the road to an EA that had been burned by Battlefront 2, had seen the success of games like Jedi Fallen order and was going you know what maybe we need to walk back our whole like kill every studio that makes single player content and and see the value in single player games and i feel like they kind of allowed bioware to soft reboot the game and basically be like okay here's here's a second chance at redoing it but in doing so that probably delayed the game multiple years aside from some art assets and some story content they probably really had to restart the game from scratch more or less and that's kind of my take on why dragon age 4 is this game that we've just been talking about since uh before barack obama was born and and here we are all this time later and we're still just like so dragon age 4 don't worry guys i hear it on great authority that it's absolutely coming yes there are developers working on it i mean you also got to keep in mind bioware casey hudson and the like all this core talent just keeps coming and going leaving coming back and so they they also have massive talent shakeups. Bioware at this point is one of those teams that's like simply a name. Like no one of any real consequence from back in like the Dragon Age Prime days or the or the Mass Effect Prime days is really even at this studio at any point here. It's it's basically just a name that owns these IP and has almost nothing else to do with the developer that we all new back from like the old OG Dragon Age one and two days and Mass Effect one two and three and all that. So. 
Again, another possibility is just the talent shakeup. Not the intention, but how should I say this? The approach to game design and game development from EA may have changed a lot in the many years this game has been greenlit and in an ad development. So it sounds good. You know, it sounds like a good thing if where we are now is Dragon Age 4 is just another Dragon Age game. It is a next gen updated, new featured dragon age title that dragon age fans will love if you liked dragon age if you like dragon age inquisition boy oh boy dragon age 4 is going to be right up your alley if that's what we're getting after all this time you know a long wait for something a little anticlimactic i'll say but if that's what we're getting i think we're in a better spot than the alternative because bioware just hasn't put out dick in so long and you gotta think about it. it's like uh, anthem failed mass effect andromeda not made by the proper 18 bioware guys basically they haven't put out shit since Dragon Age Inquisition and that was like an Xbox One borderline launch game that was like fall 2014 that was like a year after the Xbox One came out and so I mean here we are man they just really haven't done anything of any consequence in so long that I think at this point it's just like who are Bioware are Bioware even important and really relevant don't they at this point isn't it kind of safe to assume that Bioware is a team that kind of has to prove themselves again like maybe maybe the audience should look at a dragon age 4 or mass effect whatever the hell the next mass effect is called and look at it like hey that's cool i love this franchise i'm glad it's coming back but like you gotta earn my trust you gotta earn my money again because bioware what the fuck does bioware mean to anyone at this point you know like i just they they put out failed games they've put out bad products they've they've put out very 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 few products in a long period of time um, very, very core notable talent have just come and gone time and time again over the past decade or so. And I just, I can't help but think like, yeah, whatever, we're getting Dragon Age 4. We'll see what that is when we see what that is, right? Because, God, like that. I'm, I'm glad to see that by their metrics, this game is coming soon-ish and is hitting all of its development milestones and it is coming along nicely. I'm glad that they feel that way because I'll say as someone on the receiving end, I feel like we've been waiting for this game for absolutely forever. And uh, it's not a good look for Bioware. Hey, may, hopefully I'm wrong. And when this game does come out, it comes out in a, some, you know, a relatively timely fashion and it absolutely just demolishes. It's really great, really polished, really influential. People love it. Critics love it. It sells like crack and Bioware is back on the map. I, I'd love to see that happen because I don't want to see any anyone fail, especially a notable, beloved developer like Bioware. It's really sad to see them have this kind of fall from grace, but nonetheless, apparently a year and a half from now is when we're more or less going to get uh, Dragon Age 4, and that's a, apparently a, a reasonable time frame for that game. All right, guys, and that's going to bring us to our important enough news. That's right, we're done with the news, now on to the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussion, of which we have five or so. So let's jump into them, guys. First of all, Windows Central reports that Dead Island 2 is still in the works. A combination of industry insider reports the other week and Embracer Group's quarter three fiscal year 2022 financial reports raised the dead, so to speak. This is from Windows Central. That's why it's cute and corny. And news breathed life into Dead Island 2 by claiming development on the pro- uh, development is in process, progress. Sorry, development is progressing at a decent pace. Not only is Dead Island 2 well on its way to release, that release could arrive as soon as the end of this year or early next year, according to the report. Wow. What does this sound like? Uh, Dragon Age 4 very much and Dying Light 2. Not a very well-regarded project in development. Embracer Group, 
the parent company of Dead Island 2 and publisher Deep Silver, mentioned the aforementioned title during a fiscal uh, financial presentation. It also appeared in the media alongside the upcoming games like Saints Row and Shadow Warrior 3, both games coming out relatively soon. It was alluded that toward the end of the presentation that not only is Dead Island 2 definitely still happening, but it could arrive as soon as the end of the next fiscal year, which ends in March of 2023. Fans have been waiting for Dead Island 2 for nearly a decade now, as, as many have lost hope. Dead Island 2 has been plagued with slow and complicated development. It has completely changed developers twice in its development since its development began. It is now being ha- handled by Deep Silver's Dan Buster Studios, best known for Homefront The Revolution. Before that, most previously, it was being worked on by Sumo Digital. So, yeah, this, this game has been in development hell remember they announced this i think in 2015 so it's been a hell of a long time since <laughs> since they announced dead island 2 and by the time this thing comes out i mean it's it's sure as hell not going to be the game that was announced now apparently you know there have been reports that like the synopsis of this game is already pitched and they already have a lot of the game done and a lot of like the story already written out and so much of the game has been has been complete for a long time it's just a matter of getting the proper development through to the finish line for whatever that means i i gotta be honest man this is why i put in the quick news it's like does anybody actually care anymore about dead island 2 especially in a world where dying light 2 just came out you know obviously Techland, the developer of dying light original development of developer of the original dead island you know they they made dead island dead island kind of came out and was really really lame and underwhelming and then went on to make dead island or uh, dying light which was much much better it's just hard for me to believe anyone out there is just like, yeah, Dead Island 2, I'm excited for this game. It's like, dude, development hell is written all over it. The original creator of this franchise is making a similar game that is much, much better elsewhere. Like, wh- wh- why would anyone care about Dead Island at this point? I just, I don't know. I- I'm happy that they're going to get it out. I'm happy for those people that have been patiently waiting for almost a decade. I just find it crazy to believe that anyone still is anticipating this or caring. Now, next up, VGC reports that Ubisoft have reiterated its long-in-development pirate adventure Skull and Bones will release during its next fiscal year, starting in April 2022, so in the next year or so, and confirmed that the game is now a multiplayer-first title. Skull and Bones has been delayed countless times since its announcement nearly five years ago, but it now has had a rare nine-month stretch since its last delay. Guys, you see a theme in these these stories. It's just every game is just never coming. <laughs> Speaking during Ubisoft's latest earnings call on Thursday, CFO Frederick Dugas uh, Duget provided an update on the game's new direction since it was internally rebooted in 2020 per an exclusive EGC report published that same year. When Skull and Bones was first announced, it was described as a game in which players could explore the Indian Ocean either with friends or by themselves in a single-player campaign. But in 2020, VGC's development sources indicated that Skull and Bones had changed direction and moved towards a live-service game model. There's also been reports that apparently it's free-to-play, but I doubt that's the case. That's another game that's just like, does anybody give a shit anymore? Like, does anybody care at this point? You know, I, I hope it comes out and it's great and we're all wrong, but all right, man. All right, Ubisoft. We'll, we'll believe it when we see it. Next up, GamesIndustry.biz says that EA developer alum Igor uh, Efremov, Mark Rizzo, and Alan Van Slyke have announced that the, the launch of a new game development studio, Arctic 7, with its headquarters in Austin, Texas, the company is said to be, it's said that it has a global development team's and has a number of projects slated for this year, as well as unannounced, uh, unannounced title. The developer said that it was also establishing to look beyond the perceived confinements of traditional games development and include exploration and creative and technical intersections. 
Each of Arctic 7's founders separately have held long-running careers in video game development. So congratulations to those guys on the formation of another studio. We'll see in a million years when your first game comes out. Next up, GamesIndustry.biz also reports that the video game publisher Nacon uh, announced that it has acquired game developer Datalik Entertainment. Now, this is a story from last week that I actually missed, so here it is. I'm plugging it in now. The deal was an, uh, amounted to 32 million euro or 36.3 million US in cash upon signing the overall price. It can total up to 60.2 million dollars, which will be released which will be based on performances until 2026. The transaction is slated to close this year. Datalik Entertainment was founded in 07, with the company has gone on to publish titles such as Witchet, Unrailed, and Hidden Deep. Lots of smaller games. But later this year, the company is expected to launch its Lord of the Rings Gollum with Nacon publishing the game. So that's going to be like their first big, big game based on the Tolkien lore. And now they've been acquired because that's how uh, the industry works. And then finally... VGC relays that Capcom have announced a new retro compilation called Capcom Fighting Collection. The new compilation will include 10 retro one-on-one fighting games, including five arcade games in the Darkstalker series. The full list of titles is as follows. Darkstalkers, The Night Warrior, Night Warrior, Dark Darkstalkers Revenge, Vampire Savior, The Lord of Vampire, Vampire Hunter 2, Darkstalkers Revenge, Vampire Savior 2, The Lord of the Vampire, Red Earth, Cyberbots, Full Metal Madness, Super Gem Fighter Mini Mix, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, Hyper Street Fighter 2. I only recognize about four or five of those games because I'm a young gamer. But all 10 games will be in the compilation. will include online play and rollback netcode with ranked casual and custom game matches. Capcom Fighting Collection will release on Xbox One and PC on June 24th. Happy birthday, Kronky. Guys, that is going to do it for all of our news this week, you freaks. Now, let's real quick get towards the end of the podcast, maybe round out with some new game releases from the Xbox Wire, of which there are 10 notable, 10, 10 new releases coming out that you should take note of. The big one is Tuesday the day I'm recording this live now, Destiny 2 The Witch Queen. Come on, baby. I cannot wait to get around to playing this baby. I, lo- I love me some Destiny. It's been a minute since I've jumped in here. It's it's out now, February 22nd, optimized for Series X and Series S. You gotta play it, gotta play it. It's good shit. Now, unlike unlike the last expansion, this will not be included in Game Pass, so go out and buy it, you sweet boy, but it's always worth it. Destiny's always a good time. Monster Crown, February 22nd, that's some kind of Pokemon game. Synergia, February 22nd, that's some kind of anime dating talk sim game. Dr. Oil, February 23rd, that is a Flash game from 2007. Explosive Candy World, that is a, a Game Boy Pocket game. In Istanbul Digital Edition, that is a party game. Don't ever have a party, guys. It always leads to bad things. Light Up the Room, February 24th, optimized for Series X and S. It is literally a bunch of pixels and dots. I don't know how that's optimized for Series X and S. I guess maybe it has quick resume. Fuck me. Tux and Fanny. That's a funny name, a bad-looking game. Elden Ring! I know this is one a lot of you are probably really interested in. Elden Ring releases February 25th, this Friday. Optimized for Series X, optimized for Series S. Smart delivery. It's a, it's a Souls game, but it has Hideki Miyazaka, basically, George R.R. Martining the whole thing. And they're, oh, it's going to be so good, you guys. It's going to be so hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the challenge. Also, Grid Legends comes out February 25th, optimized for the later consoles. Grid, always a good time, although I never really play those games, so what the fuck am I talking about? And that's it for the new notable releases of the week. And as a reminder for all you goons out there, Games with Gold, we've got four titles coming that are available, except what you already missed one of them, so sucks to suck. But 
Broken Sword 5, The Serpent's Curse, available for the rest of the month. Download it. Aerial Knights, New Year, Never Yield, available now until March 15th. Go download it. Hydrophobia, eh, you missed it. Bands of Bugs, oh boy, it's available till the 28th. You know you got to download that, man. You only got till what? What is that, Monday? Baby, get to it. It's just going to be a good, good old time. All right, guys, and with that said, this is actually the shortest episode of Xbox On we've had in a little while, but that's actually going to do it for our, our show this week. So sorry if everything felt a little off. Uh, I especially apologize if you're sitting here on Thursday saying, God damn it, Jesse, I want to hear you talk about how xbox just acquired wrigley gum i want to know if five gum is going to be exclusive to xbox or five gum is going to still come to playstation as well so please jesse give us your commentary sorry if i missed that announcement i'm uh got a huge work thing and then i'm going out of town so i won't be here but i hope you guys enjoyed the show be sure to leave some nice reviews if you can on iTunes and Spotify. These things mean the world, especially if you can uh, subscribe on YouTube, guys. We are just about to hit 900 subscribers, which means we're well on our way to 1,000. You guys have helped me so much with growing this tiny, tiny little thing. I have literally no following, no importance, no market or anything out there, but organically, just through sheer discovery, you you guys have helped me go from literally having no one listening, no one no one paying attention, no one consuming to a whole a whole bunch of you guys. So I really want to appreciate and thank you all for your support. Uh, it really does mean the world. YouTube videos should be back, not this weekend, next weekend. I'll be back in town getting you some new content. I got a bunch of things filmed that I just need to edit. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get footage from my Xbox because my capture card shit the bed, but that's okay. We'll, we'll figure something else out. But yeah, follow me on Twitter, Jesse DeRosa. Follow me on YouTube at Xbox On Podcast or at my other main channel that I'm really enjoying uploading videos to, Lightning Extreme. That's also my Twitch name. Follow me on Twitch. We're hanging out every Monday night. It's a good old time. But guys, you have been Xbox on as the as you know as as the ladies say. And so until next week, take care of yourselves, have fun, play some Crossfire X, smoke a cigar, uh, if for the, for, for some reason that's something you want to do. And uh, until next time, power your dreams.
Big Spot.